Welcome to the second season of Influence Me, a podcast series where I discuss matters of leadership with a wide range of guests. I'm Assistant Commissioner Andrew Short. For me, this podcast series is all about supporting leaders, both experienced and emerging, through the many challenges that will come on their leadership journey. It is my view that leadership is all about influence, and I look forward to interviewing more guests for the purpose of increasing knowledge and understanding of leadership. As the title of this podcast suggests, I want to be influenced. It's a pleasure for this podcast to introduce to you Dr. Nicola Stefanov. Nicola has spent much of her career in service to the public sector and community. Her background is in professional ethics and governance, research, research regulation, mediation and dispute resolution and board governance. She has expertise in resolving complex and contentious conflicts where there are grave personal or governance risks. She holds six degrees. No idea how you come up with the time to do that. But anyway, including a Juris Doctor and a Doctor of Philosophy, she completed her PhD at the University of Melbourne with the School of Global and Population Health and the Melbourne Medical School. Her professional accreditation and memberships include, as a fellow of the Governance Institute of Australia, accreditation as a mediator under the National Mediator Accreditation System, and registration as a professional member with the Resolution Institute, among others. She is also an adjunct professor with James Cook University in the Division of Tropical Health and Medicine. She has a strong interest in children's rights, elder advocacy, and cross-border treaty matters, including children with complex health needs, where in that work you've actually covered children from Papua New Guinea. And her original area of ethics and law expertise was in the end-of-life care of infants and children. In a voluntary capacity, Nicola is a member of the Governing Board of Alive, the $10 million National and Medical Research Council of Australia National Research Translation Centre to implement mental health care at scale in Australia. She also continues to research and publish in various fields and to supervise PhD students. In her spare time, and I've no idea how you come up with spare time, but in her spare time, she is a devoted section and through hiker. She has just returned from hiking the 270 kilometer Portuguese coastal Camino through Portugal and Spain in 36 to 37 degree heat and is planning to hike the stunning W trek through the Torres de Paine National Park in Chilean Patagonia in November. Well, as I said to you, I've been chasing you for a bit to actually have this chat about practical ethics or practical integrity for leaders in our sector. And it's such a pleasure to have you with me. So welcome to you. Thank you so much, Andrew. And I think uh, I would have been here, been able to do this earlier, but of course I was too busy trekking in one of the hottest summers in Portugal and Spain. So I'm just pleased to be here and to be alive and to be hydrated at the moment. So tell me about this before we jump into it. Tell me about this W Trek. What's, what's yeah. so special about that? Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. So it goes through a national park. And look, who doesn't want to trek Patagonia? They've also got these amazing eco cabins. So I started off in my hiking and camping adventures many, many years ago. And, and that included things like camping in the wild and, you know, hiking and going to hostels. Now that I'm a little bit older, I like to 
think about the way that I hike and camp as gliking and glamping. So I do <laughs> like a little bit of a glamorous hike. So somewhere to sleep that, that is half decent at night. And this area of Patagonia, this particular track, had the most amazing award-winning eco cabins. So hopefully I won't be sleeping on the ground and I'll be sleeping in an eco cabin. So if anyone is interested, gliking and glamping is the way to go. So we're talking heated shells here as part of that, or well, not necessarily. I actually don't. I haven't looked at that. I just, I just look at is there, is there something to sleep on that's not the ground? I, that's actually a good question, though. Anyway, well, look I'm, at that. I'm sure you better look at that. Anyway, let look. Let's jump in. I'm, I'm going to try to set the scene here. I've now served for a long time. I think I'm now about 36 years. And one of the things I've come to know is that our developing or emerging leaders certainly stumble about for a period in their early career on matters of integrity and matters of ethics. So this chat with you, and we will get to the point where I'm asking you some very practical questions about what these emerging leaders can do. But my experience has been that if you're doing your job as a manager or a leader, then you're going to be being confronted with matters of integrity virtually every day. Is that a fair comment? Absolutely. I think the first thing to realise in everything we do, ethics and, and law govern everything we do in our workplace, and they tend to work together. So the law has tended so if we're thinking about ethics, it's what we ought to do. The law has tended to follow ethics. So you generally have society saying this is a good thing to do and that's not, for example, killing people is bad. And then you have a case or you have legislation that turns those sorts of expectations into law. So ethics and law tend to work together. The law tends to follow behind. It's often imperfectly applied. But I think in everything we do, whether we're using a laptop or thinking about how we make a decision or how we weigh our factors, um, ethics, ethics is always foundational to that. And that includes things like integrity. Because having if you're acting with integrity, you're generally acting in a way that you think is consistent with law. Certainly, I'm, I'm a, I love reading. And I come across a quote some time ago, which was an Albert Schweitzer quote. And of course, he was the, the German-French theologian. And he said that the first step in the evolution of ethics is a sense of solidarity with other human beings. What's your take on that? That's, it's actually a very, very good quote. And I think I'd probably go a little bit further and would think in terms of it being solidarity with other living beings and our external and our internal teleos, so our purpose as living human beings. So, no, I think that's a very, very good quote. Certainly the thing I, I tend to see and I find myself, if I have emerging leaders who interact with me, sometimes they'll come to me with a wicked problem. I don't let the monkey get off their back onto mine because I can see it as a, a learning opportunity and we'll discuss it. And then we might talk about different pathways that ethics can provide you in actually resolving that wicked problem. Just to help the audience, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, could you give me a quick 101? Because it's easy to say the word ethics, but mm. indeed ethics, there's many different types of ethical constructs. So are you happy just to speak that for a sec? Sure. So when I think about ethics, it really is thoughts and actions that guide your decision making. It's something as simple as that. So what should you do in a particular circumstance? How should you live your life? How should you treat others? Many of us who have studied ethics, which is very common if when you do sort of philosophy courses, because it's a essentially sort of a subcategory of philosophy, we tend to gravitate towards those ethicists that we feel are a natural alignment to their teachings. 
So for me, I'm quite Kantian. So a lot of what I do is based on the works of Immanuel Kant, Kant, I should say. There's no one true ideology, ethical ideology, that should guide any person's practice all the time. So we tend to sort of come in and out of using different sorts of approaches. You know, Jeremy Bentham was all about doing things for the greater good, for the most amount of people, those types of things. Whereas if we're thinking about Immanuel Kant, he tended to have more of an approach that you should be applying the same principle and the same approach to each situation. For example, for Immanuel Kant, lying was bad under any circumstance. Whereas if you're thinking about something like Jeremy Bentham, Bentham would have thought that there were circumstances that justify Uh, lying. So little things like that. Bentham will say, well, it depends. Exactly, exactly. I do find it interesting that when we're thinking about ethics, though, we're we're talking about philosophies of generally men. We're thinking about Aristotle. Some of those philosophers existed, hundreds, if not, you know, 2,000, 1,000 years ago. There have not been very many prominent female philosophers. And it would have been interesting to see if ethics, if our common views of ethics would have changed, if we if there were a lot of very prominent female philosophers, you know, 500 years ago or 600 years ago or 1,000 years ago. My personal view is that like anything which is to do with uh, diversity of thinking, I believe it would be different. My view is that female players can bring different perspectives to things than males. And for the males, listen to this, this is not me pushing you down. This is me believing that a whole of society approach requires that we get every person's brain involved or experience involved to get us to the best outcome. Mm -hmm. Certainly, I've come to know that some of the things that tend to pop up repeatedly for me in a practical sense is I still see the management of conflicts of interest uh, not being as good as it should be. And mm-hmm. I don't know whether it's just a, a human weakness. I look at our sector and we put a lot of work into having people at least call it out. And we're seeing that now. But commonly, people go, yeah, at the beginning of a meeting, it's built into the agenda. I've got a conflict of interest. And that's all very well. But I don't necessarily mean that that normally automatically goes into that that conflict of interest has been dealt with. What's been your experience with mm. conflicts of interest? It's a very highly nuanced area of, of not only ethics, but also law. I always think that the best person to decide whether there's a conflict or not is not the person with it. We have a na- it doesn't matter how good we are, how objective we think we might be, Ultimately, we're deciding something that we've got a vested interest in and we're we're not well placed to do that. One of the issues with conflicts of interest is that for a long time it was used as when someone was called out for having a conflict, it was... It was viewed as a flaw in their character that they even had one. But my view is that any human will have things that they're interested in. They'll have people that they love or that they're friends with. They'll own things. They'll have a house. They'll have shares. They'll have friendship groups. They'll have networks. If you're someone who does not have a conflict of interest, it means you must have none of those things ever and they must not ever affect you in a workplace so unless you're jumping workplaces every five minutes and you don't stay in contact with anybody and you own nothing, at some point you're going to have an interest that might conflict. So I think the first thing we need to do is accept that it is not a failing or a flaw to have a conflict of interest. I think the wording doesn't help because a conflict suggests something adversarial, so it suggests something bad. I always begin from a premise of saying, well, you've got an interest that that might give rise to a conflict, but whether it's a conflict or not should be decided by someone else. And there are a range of factors that can be considered. However, there's a reason why if you're going through an adversarial process or any process at all, you're not 
necessarily the decision maker just say it's something within the courts or what have you. And that's because it's recognised that inherently, whether we realise it or not, we make decisions that will benefit ourselves. And that's why it's better for someone else to make that decision for us. And recognising that is not a character flaw. It's actually shows maturity and sophistication in the way that you think. And by extension of that, I think about my own journey here. I'm a lot more clearer now when it comes to conflicts of interest pertaining to maybe a friendship group or a friend or a colleague we're involved in a meeting and historically, no, I don't think it's just our sector. I think this is a a broader, where people will make a decision or vote if it's a board setting or whatever, because they're supporting a friend. And Mm. I don't think we're out of the long grass on that one uh, as a society. And that's where we get, I think, caught in that trap of, oh, scratch your back, you scratch mine, or together we're going to maintain a a power base and all that that sort of dynamics that come through that. And what I find myself doing these days is to really call it out, I will, if I'm having to deal directly with someone who's a close friend, I will say something like, I'm taking my friendship hat off here and I'm putting my role hat on here and I need to say this. And I find that that actually helps for me. People, they don't get confused by that. Because they can see that you're not disrespecting the friendship. You're just trying to uh, stay true to the important matter at hand. And this is one of the areas that I actually work a bit on emerging leaders because I fortunately get to see some of them fall in that pothole. But regardless, my final question of the main part of our chat is what would be your advice to a younger leader who's probably is lacking in knowledge in terms of helping them to keep themselves out of a tough moment, a tough integrity moment or a tough ethical moment? What would you say to them in terms of how should they improve that, that understanding? What can they do? Mm, that's a good question. And I might I might just go back to what you said earlier about taking the hat off and putting your other hat on. When, in the case of a sort of a conflict of interest involving a friendship, true friends don't compromise you. It's just that simple. So if your friend is in a situation where you're a decision maker or you're going to have to speak to them about behaviours, et cetera, If they value your friendship and they respect you as a person, they'll sit their own personal feelings to the side and understand that you're doing it from a professional viewpoint. If they don't, then what you will see is that they don't value the friendship like you do and they will try and compromise you and use that friendship as a hook or an anchor to try and get you to do something that you shouldn't do. So I think that's a very good way of figuring out who your friends are if you've got someone that is trying to compromise you and doesn't respect the fact that you have to um, bring things up in a professional capacity. In terms of younger, for younger people coming through, I think it's very difficult. You don't often know that you're going to be a leader or end up as a leader. So it's not as though someone young will be coming up through the ranks and they'll say, in 10 years, I'll be a leader here. So I'm going to make sure I find good mentors and I'm going to do courses and I want to find someone whose style and characteristics I'll emulate. So I I think one of the issues, one of the things I'd recommend for young people is if they they think in the future, uh, whether they want to do leadership or not, if they see someone whose style they want to emulate, for example, a mentor, it could be someone more senior or even on the same level or more junior within your workforce, go and have that conversation about whether they'd be interested in doing some informal mentoring. Because it's really around not stepping out and saying, I want to be a leader, but stepping out and saying, I've got this particular toolkit of characteristics 
But I like what I see over there and I'd like some of the way that they handle, whether it's a negotiation or handled themselves in a conflict or just the style and the attitude they bring into work. So I think from an, for, for those younger ones or even older, it really doesn't, age is irrelevant. I just think it's good to be open and curious about the different the different styles and characteristics other people have. And if you want to put that in your toolkit as well, go and seek it out and have those conversations. Why not? I've actually had the benefit of seeing that real. And I'm talking about the people who I've had in my life as mentors. And I've, I've done the same thing where you go, I love how they do that, or I love the way they approach yeah. that. And then conversely, people who I've, where I've been the mentor for them, there's been times where I've actually had to say to them, look, I'm not the person you need to speak to about that subject or that ability, but I can recommend that you might want to go you know, have a chat with this person. And that probably is part of my evolution at understanding that I'm not all things to all people which is one of the fallacies of leadership, by the way, in, in my view, uh, particularly our sector where, you know, you start putting the rank markings on, the bling and all the rest of it, and people tend to start thinking that they need to know all the answers, uh, whereas it becomes a high-stakes game, and therefore you should be or must be better at drawing others in to help you with your decision-making processes, particularly in an operational context. It's quite yeah. an interesting area. Certainly, Nicola, the, the pressure that's on leaders to be their best all the times means that they should be taking a break or finding a place where they can recenter, refocus. What's that for you? Look, I think it's really important to to work out a way to feel centered and grounded. Some people will put cars together, some people mow the lawn, uh, others will do whether it's um, mediation, spending time with family, reading books. I love hiking. One of the things I particularly like about hiking, and you know I've taken on a few different jobs over the years, is I like to um, end a job with a nice long hike. And I think about it in terms of shedding a skin of, the, of that job, ready to step in. So you have that liminal period where you're ready to step into the new skin of a new role. So I tend to do a long hike in between and then you sort of come back, you you walk out all of the issues or the questions and you, you come back prepared to step into that new role. So I do think of it as shedding a, a skin ready for the next adventure. So, and that's sort of, that's my sort of happy place, I guess. And now you've said that word shed and skin. Yeah. I think you actually use that in a, a text message that we exchanged and trying to set this up, that you're about to go and shed a skin. And, I, and at the time I thought, oh, I really need to speak to her about what that actually <laughs> <laughs> what that actually means but yeah. now I understand yeah. yeah yeah wonderful thank you hey look I want to now move us into these five wonderful questions that each oh, each of my guests uh, get to answer I'm not looking for a long answer uh, whatever pops in your mind so the first of these questions is what do you wish you really understood that's a really good question. I, when I did my PhD, part of it was in decision science. So the way that people weigh up risks and benefits to themselves, where they sometimes they soar off inconvenient truths so they can live in an alternative reality, all those kinds of things. I wish I understood when people do the wrong thing, I wish I understood the drivers more. And obviously coming from an anti-corruption integrity space, that's a natural interest of mine. Yep. yep. And I wish I knew the point, the point of no return and whether they recognise it. So it's really just around that decision science, just because I, I do find it fascinating. 
Mm. It, it would be fascinating. The second question is, what do you wish that other people understood about you? Uh, now, interestingly enough, or maybe it's not that interesting, <laughs> I actually don't, I think I'm, my dealings with other people are generally extremely positive and I rarely walk away from encounters feeling misunderstood. So I, I don't actually have think anything that sort of stands out in terms of I wish people understood. You know, I play with the straight back, what you see is what you get and I rarely walk away from an encounter with a, with a view that, that I wasn't understood or they formed the wrong view. Yeah, and to confirm that, that's been my experience with you, you know, for these past oh, yeah. few years. And yeah. that, that's, for me, there's nothing nicer than walking away feeling like you've been heard, understood, and that, you know, the other person, in this case yourself, has been able to engage uh, with me and that we both depart with uh, a gain. So I, I think that's a great yeah. answer. The next question is, in respect to your own leadership development, or it could be just your own general development through your life, and knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to the younger version of yourself? Mm. Oh, another, another very good question, Andrew. My advice to myself, and it's something that I will begin now, I wish I had sought formal mentoring and formal coaching probably I think that would have been really useful say five to ten years ago so I've ended up where I've ended up without sort of that formal coaching and mentoring that you puts the polish on you know polishes off the edges those types of things I wish I had done that earlier I will I will actually start doing it because I've recognized that that I think I would enjoy that and a lot of people at my level have had the benefit of that through their different organizations um, and it's been painful so it's certainly something I'm looking at. So the the extra step to get to polish, to be the polished, I wouldn't say stone, but polish off some edges. Diamond? Di- oh, no, because we don't talk, oh, diamonds. I don't wear diamonds. Well, that would be terrible. <laughs> that would be terrible. A, I know where they come from. It's a no. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yes, and what happens to people who are associated with that, which I understand too. Certainly you ventured into that concept of lifelong learning. That's what I heard oh, from you then, when you absolutely. said, even though where you are right now in the diverse and extensive career and experience you had, there's clearly a part of you saying, I'm still learning. And oh, and, absolutely. and that is such a great thing to yeah. see in a senior experienced person. And thank you for being one of those. The final, actually, the fourth question, if you had a magic wand, what's an ability you would give current leaders now, it says here in our sector right now, but but because you've had visibility over a range of sectors, you know, what's something that you, if you had that magic wand that you'd like to have leaders be given an ability to do something? Mm. Another good question. So when we make decisions, we always, in general, people make, when people make decisions or when we are considering things, We always paint ourselves as the good person making decisions for the right reasons, say, for example, the public interest. We saw off inconvenient truths that don't fit our vision of ourselves, so we always want to paint ourselves as good. I think irrespective of the circumstances or the facts, I think if I had a magic wand, it would be that we all squarely face our decisions and the things that motivate us and then generally look at whether we are doing things in the public sector that are in the public interest or whether we're actually making decisions in our own interests and, and placing that first. So I, I think squarely facing how we make decisions, I think that would be my magic wand trick. Thank you. 
The fifth and final question, what's a legacy you wish to be remembered for as a leader? Oh, that's, uh, I don't, you know, I actually don't want to be remembered as a leader per se. You know, or, per, I want, or person. Or you, a person. What, yeah, yeah. As a, I'm, I'll be remembered by the people, my friends and family and the people that love me for a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah. Um, I think in the workspace, a lot of the things I've already done in the palliative care space, particularly for end-of-life care of children, I really feel like I was able to achieve things that I could not ever dream of. And whether it's my name's ever put beside them, I'm just pleased that, that a lot of the initiatives that I've been involved in will live on. I probably won't be remembered for them, but that doesn't matter because they yep. will continue on. So, yeah, I think it's less about me and it's more about the changes that I have been involved with that have ultimately benefited, whether it's a group of people or individuals. A wonderful answer and a wonderful way to finish our five questions. That brings us to the end. As I said, it's taken me a while to be able to, you know, to, to actually organise this and and I know that you're about to make another step change in your professional life, and I wish you the best in moving into your new role. I personally appreciate that you've given me some time, and I'm sure the people who are listening to this podcast who are probably day in, day out being confronted with difficult situations where they have to draw on every ethical bone in their body, I uh, hope that this podcast will make their life just a little bit easier so my sincere thanks to you coming on online tonight oh thank you andrew and i think the thing to remember with ethics is we are all learning and we're all learning for the throughout the course of our lives no one has the answer to every complex or even simple issue that arises so perhaps taking the pressure anyone that is interested in ethics take the pressure off yourself give yourself permission to be to be a learner and accept that you won't have all the answers that's probably the only the only suggestion I would have. Well, I think that's a wonderful suggestion. Have a lovely night and I'll speak to you hopefully at some stage to learn about where you end up in your journey. Thank you. And if you've got any readers who've got some hints for the W Trek, including whether there's hot water, you just tell them to drop us a line. Okay, we, we can do that. <laughs> Good on you. Thanks, Thank Andrew. You. Thank you. Bye.